This podcast is brought to you by GoMoto, the service lane kiosk that grows your business. Want to increase revenue, improve the customer experience, and maximize service efficiency? Visit GoMoto.com to learn more. G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Want to dive deeper into the topics you hear about on Daily Drive? We're offering listeners a special offer, 20% off a one-year Automotive News digital subscription. That gets you access to all of our news, information, and analysis made for automotive industry leaders like you. Go to autonews.com slash daily drive promo to redeem. Welcome to Daily Drive for Thursday, November 30th, 2023. I'm Jamie Butters, Executive Editor of Automotive News in Detroit. And I'm Kellen Walker in Las Vegas. Today on the show, Ford tallies up the cost of the UAW strike as the union sets its sights on new targets. Nissan is said to be moving an affordable EV offshore and Would you be more interested in an EV if it had 600 miles of range? Plus, the intersection of lighting and computing means that suppliers can develop even more cool features for vehicles, if the regulators allow them. Semiconductors get better and cheaper at the same time. (laughs) And with that, it's just a matter of time until you can unlock the next application. Let's run through all the news you need to know to keep up in the auto industry. Ford Motor Company said this morning that its new contract with the UAW is expected to raise costs by $8.8 billion, or an average of about $900 per vehicle by 2028. Ford said it lost $1.7 billion in profits from the union's 41-day strike against it. The company now expects $10 to $10.5 billion in adjusted earnings before interest in taxes, down from previous guidance of $11 to $12 billion. The work stoppage reduced production by about 100,000 vehicles, Ford said. As a result, the company reduced its projection for full-year adjusted free cash flow by about $1.5 billion to the range of 5 to $5.5 billion. UAW members ratified the contract this month. It includes 25% raises and a cost-of-living adjustment that will bring top pay to around $42 an hour by April 2028. The deal also shortens the time it takes for new hires to reach top wages, boosts retirement plans, and calls for $8.1 billion in manufacturing investment. The UAW is looking to build on the momentum of the new contracts. On Wednesday, the Detroit-based union announced an organizing campaign targeting all 13 automakers with non-union U.S. assembly plants. If fully successful, it would roughly double the number of active auto workers in the UAW. The union said thousands of non-union employees are signing support cards and organizing to join the UAW, weeks after it won lucrative contracts at Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis. The drives are taking place at BMW, Honda, Hyundai, Lucid, Mazda, Mercedes-Benz, Nissan, Rivian, Subaru, Tesla, Toyota, Volkswagen, and Volvo. Here's what UAW President Sean Fain had to say. To all the auto workers out there working without the benefits of a union, now it's your turn. Since we began our stand-up strike, the response from auto workers at non-union companies has been overwhelming. The 13 companies have about 150,000 U.S. manufacturing employees. The UAW has about 146,000 members at the Detroit 3 today. Some breaking news today. Nissan is not planning to build the next generation of America's first volume EV in North America. 
That's what people familiar with the plans shared with Automotive News. U.S. production of the current generation LEAF is scheduled to end in mid-2025. Nissan has said the next generation LEAF will be built in Sunderland, England for the U.K. market, but the automaker has not announced where that vehicle will be exported. A Nissan spokesperson said the company will detail its product plans in due course. Making the next LEAF outside of North America would make it ineligible for tax credits under the Inflation Reduction Act. In other EV news, lithium iron phosphate battery supplier Our Next Energy says its dual chemistry battery has reached 608 miles of range on a single charge in the electric BMW iX. The battery was assessed through the Worldwide Harmonized Light Vehicles Test Procedure, the European standard for determining EV range. The long-range dual chemistry battery pack, called Gemini, gave the iX a significant boost from its EPA-estimated range of about 300 miles. Our Next Energy, known as One, announced the technology breakthrough days after it laid off 128 employees, a quarter of its workforce, in response to market conditions, as EV adoption has slowed. And some personnel news. Jeep, which is on pace for a fifth consecutive year of U.S. sales declines, is getting new leadership in North America. Maserati North America CEO William Peffer will replace Jim Morrison as head of Jeep in the region. Morrison will lead the newly formed Jeep performance parts business, parent company Stellantis, said Wednesday. Peffer, a former Kia Motors America sales executive, spent one week as that unit's COO before joining Stellantis at the end of 2020. Kelly McDonald will succeed Peffer at Maserati. She had been named chief marketing officer for Maserati Americas earlier this year. The moves are effective December 1. And those are today's headlines. Jamie, the UAW now has its sights on many of the non-union automakers. How do the non-union automakers combat this? Or is this part of the inevitable due to the changing times? Well, it's hardly inevitable given the, the many defeats the UAW has had trying to organize these companies. It is a little different now, though. Labor movement definitely has some momentum behind it. Uh, the UAW itself, now that it's you know cleaned house and uh, won these big contracts, but we've seen it across the board, across all kinds of industries. Workers are much more inclined to form unions and to go on strike than they have been really in decades. That said, it's a tough sell. A lot of these are the best jobs in their communities. They pay competitive wages, certainly better than most things that are in those local economies and close enough to what the UAW pays uh, that maybe people would decide it's not worth paying dues. I don't want to give control over whether we go on strike to someone in Detroit or anyone, really. So it's tough sledding. The areas where they are were in many cases chosen because they are not union-friendly places. So we'll see. We'll see who, uh, who comes out on top. It's going to be very interesting. It will be coming up. An Automotive News All-Star returns to the supplier where he got his start. That's next on Daily Drive. The auto industry's shift to carbon neutrality is here and it's accelerating. But is it enough? This is a moral imperative, an economic imperative, a moment of peril, but also a moment of extraordinary possibilities. No more hesitancy. No more excuses. No more waiting for the others to move first. There is simply no more time for that. 
Driving to Zero is a new podcast series from Automotive News that looks at the auto industry's roadmap to carbon neutrality. We take a big picture look at the environmental, political, and social trends pushing the move toward a greener future. And we pull back the curtain on how these decisions are being made at the highest levels. I said, you know, the, the headline that you need is is GM believes in an all-electric future. And I think Dan Ammon and Mary Barra pretty much said the same thing, which is, is like, but, but we, we don't. Spoiler alert, they came around to that idea. Find out how and much more. I'm Jake Neer. Join me and Automotive News Executive Editor Jamie Butters on Driving to Zero. Available now wherever you get your podcasts. Your service check-in process sets the tone for your customer's entire visit. Do your customers wait longer than five minutes to check in for service? Are your advisors presenting upsells to every customer every time? How often is the opportunity for a trade appraisal missed? When your service drive gets busy, these inefficiencies directly impact revenue. Give your customers the option to handle the entire check-in process themselves, from appointment scheduling through final confirmation in under two minutes. Customers have the experience they want while selling themselves, which means your advisors are freed up to focus on profit-producing activities. It's a win-win for CSI and your revenue. Introducing a smarter service lane, GoMoto is the self-service kiosk designed to grow your business. If you're ready to start increasing revenue, improving the customer experience, and maximizing service efficiency today, visit GoMoto.com. That's G-O-M-O-T-O dot com. Welcome back to Daily Drive. I'm Jamie Butters with Kellen Walker. In the years since he was named an Automotive News All-Star as industry leader, Aldo Camper returned to Osram, now AMS Osram, where he started his career almost 30 years ago. The merger that happened while he was running Leone, which continues to make wire harnesses at a factory in Ukraine despite Russia's invasion of the country, left the lighting and chip company with a lot of debt. He's trying to get that under control this year so the company can focus on profitable operations and cool technologies. We talked about all of that when he made a recent visit to the company's automotive office in Novi, Michigan, a suburb of Detroit. Aldo Kemper, welcome to Daily Drive. Thank you, Jamie. Glad to be here. So I think a lot of people are familiar with the idea of Osram Lighting uh, mm -hmm. from its many years in automotive, but... Uh, Describe for our audience, what is the shape of the business today? Well, I mean, at the moment, it's not Osram anymore. It's AMS Osram, mm -hmm. um, basically meaning that we came together, AMS being a sensor and AC company, um, together with Osram being a lighting and optical semiconductor LED uh, company. That combination was uh, put together a couple of years ago, and that really changed the overall setup of the, of the company quite a bit. But nowadays, we are uh, heavily an automotive company, like Ostrom was before. <laughs> uh, that is still the case. About 50% of our revenue is automotive-related. Okay. But also industrial, medical, and consumer electronics are other important segments for us. And uh, you're going through a restructuring, kind of, uh, mostly financial, but a little bit on operations. Tell us how that's been going. Sure. Yeah. No, we, we realized that we needed to get even more focused. Uh, we mm -hmm. even uh, need to... Uh, I think further strengthen our strengths, and our strengths are clearly in the automotive space. Uh, that's why I'm also here again back in Detroit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and um, well, while doing that and uh, focusing even more on automotive industrial medical, we realized that in the consumer electronics, we probably need to be more selective, um, mm -hmm. pick the, the programs that really generate long-term value. Um, so here we're going to do a little bit, little bit less. Um, and, and with that re renewed focus on, on, our, on our core uh, in automotive especially, 
Um, we, we also realized we probably also need to look at the sizing of the company once more. We mm -hmm. were about a 5 billion euro entity when the two came together. Then already a couple of um, general lighting type activities were sold off in the, early, in the last two, three years. And now we're going to sell off probably three, four million euros of semiconductor related revenues in the consumer electronics space mainly. Um, so we're a bit smaller company and we need to resize to, to be sized appropriately for this new task mm -hmm. at hand. And we're going through that as well. Um, but what, with those two building blocks of focusing on divesting the non-profitable lines and, and the resizing of the company, we see a nice bump up in profitability um, mm -hmm. that we are expecting in the, in the next years. At the moment, we're about 5% EBIT uh, with those uh, actions in refocusing and resizing. We should be about 10 with some growth of our new product lines and a lot of new design wins that we're very excited about. Mm -hmm. We see revenue also picking up and with a bit of revenue growth, we will be back to the 15% plus of profitability that we also historically have shown. That's the adjusted EBIT. Yes, it is adjusted EBIT. Yeah, correct. So uh, right now you're actually doing a, a stock offering or a, mm -hmm. a rights, a really a rights offering. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the the stock is is down quite mm -hmm. a bit, but uh, tell us how that's going and and what the plans are. Yeah. Now it was it was clear that we needed to address uh, quite a bit of um, of debt uh, out of the the mm -hmm. merger uh, was quite a bit of debt on the balance sheet mm -hmm. and then since then uh, with Corona and, and so on uh, semiconductor crisis things de didn't develop as planned I think at the time um, so we still have quite a bit of debt to take care of uh, more than two billion euro of debt um, that we need to refinance until twenty five and we wanted to be ahead of the curve um, so uh, once the strategy was set in the summer time frame. Together with a new CFO, we also said, let's also tackle the financing topic heads on. And we did that with a, a combination of new equity, um, a new uh, high yield bond, and also a sale and leaseback transaction. And we're stepping through those pieces quite quickly now over the last weeks. Um, the sale and leaseback actually came in better than expected uh, at 450 million euro of funds. Uh, we had a high yield bond place, also better than expected, with <laughs> a billion uh, instead of 800 million. It's like a trend forming here. Uh, hopefully. <laughs> and now the last piece of that is the, the, the equity raise with the rights issue that we're now going through right now. And it all should be done before Christmas. So you get all the financial restructuring done here in 2023, well ahead of the 2025 wall. Exactly. And then you can really focus focus on execution. Exactly. That's the plan. And I think um, we are stepping through that, that, that uh, quite nicely and quite quickly, really being able to focus fully on the business again early next year and then executing that that turnaround plan uh, on the on the strategic side that I just spoke about. Um, and that in combination with a lot of exciting technology that is being put into the market, I think really then can show again the, the true value that this company has. Well, so let's talk about that. Let's talk about the fun stuff, the automotive technology. Yeah. So, I mean, I think back to earlier in your career, earlier in my career, you know, in the early 2000s, you go to the Detroit Auto Show, it'd be a lot more LEDs on the, the big signs there <laughs> than there would be on the, on the cars, even Very the concept true. cars. How has that market evolved and where are, we, where are we heading? Oh, it has tremendously evolved. And that's the fun thing about semiconductors, also the piece that I missed a bit the last couple of years. It, semiconductors get better and cheaper at the same time. <laughs> and with that, it's just a matter of time until you can unlock the next application. Mm. And we started in those days, which is referring to with, with the backlighting of switches uh, in the mm -hmm. interior. And after we mastered that, it went to the cluster. After we mastered that, it went to the tail of the car, mm -hmm. then to the front of the car. And nowadays, what, what was a high-end feature on, on an expensive car 10 years ago, uh, an LED headlamp, is now a standard feature on every mid and small size car even that you can buy nowadays. Mm -hmm. About 70, 75% of the cars come out of the factory with LEDs lights already as a standard equipment. So we have come a long way. 
Um, and that trend continues. We see more and more applications for LED technology and for sensor technology in cars. Mm. And, and that's the stuff that we're providing. And that's exciting. I, I must really say it is on the one hand um, a topic of, um, of styling. I mean, light has become the new chrome, if you will. And <laughs> everything you want to beautify, you do with light. And, with, mm -hmm. and behind that light is usually LED technology and oftentimes Absolutely. from us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also it's about safety and, and about interactivity. Um, of, of having the car interact more with the driver or the car interact more with its surrounding. And that also, again, needs optoelectronic technology that, uh, that we can help with. Interesting because it seems like lighting, especially through the advent of LEDs, has almost become, if not synonymous, very integrated with, mm -hmm. uh, with computers and, mm -hmm. and semiconductors. And so I guess it's sort of fortuitous that, mm -hmm. that you're uh, now merged with, with mm -hmm. AMS. Correct, yes. And, and we're using that added intelligence of our components also increasingly. We have, mm -hmm. on the one hand, if you now think about interior, for example, it used to be you could kind of switch the color in your car more for an ambient mm -hmm. uh, type of, of uh, application. Now that becomes much more interactive. I mean, if you have more and more autonomous features, you want the driver to then, if he again needs to take control of the situation, pay attention in the right uh, in the right area of his surroundings. So signaling that true light is, for example, one of the things that is that is up and coming. And now we're not talking a few tens of LEDs per car, we're talking a few hundreds of LEDs <laughs> per car. And if you want to be able to address them individually, you need a little driver chip in every one of them. You need a protocol wow. to address them. So we have developed the driver with the uh, sensor and ASIC technology that we had from the AMS side. We have developed a protocol uh, that is open uh, source. Everybody can use it. And now you can do a lot of fancy things, but a lot of also really value-adding things in terms of safety, in terms of comfort with that protocol and with these new LEDs that combine the, uh, the ASIC technology of AMS and the lighting technology of OSRAM. Some of the new products you have, I'd like you to describe them because a lot of uh, our consumers and even uh, automakers in the U.S. aren't able to, to see these things in action. True, that, that is sometimes a bit sad. We have <laughs> really uh, great technology, especially advanced driving beam. I think that is in Europe mm. the absolute standard now for, for a lot of the cars is still missing in, in the US because of regulation. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a pity because it really adds a lot of safety. You can basically drive with high beam on all the time without blinding any of the oncoming traffic. Mm. Because the LED technology is, is so um, advanced that you can take out parts of the beam that would disturb the oncoming traffic. Um, and would, however, leave you with the beam, the high beam pattern in the rest where it doesn't disturb anybody. And that's a tremendous addition to safety. And now we're making, making a next step in that, and uh, that you can do with 10 or 20 LEDs at the moment. We're now giving now new products out that have 25,000 little pixels that you can manipulate. So you can be much finer, much more granular in your light distribution which adds another level of, of, of capability to the headlamp. For example, uh, at night you can project the width of the car on the road so that you can easily navigate through a construction zone, for example. And for a lot of drivers, that's a stressful situation. If you can take out that stress, it, it helps. It makes people feel more safe. Um, and that's tremendous value to the end customer. And that is also an attractive proposition to sell by the car OEM. And, and the European and also the Asian uh, car makers are, are increasingly using that ability for upsell. And the nice thing is it, it goes hand in hand with a feature that customers really want. They, mm -hmm. they can perceive, they can see themselves the difference that it makes to them in driving at night. Everybody, especially when you get older, needs more light on the road, mm -hmm. needs it better distributed. 
And these new features can help with that. So fortunately, it's also now finally coming to the US. Uh, regulation has moved on, technology has moved on, so we can offer really clear, free, high beam driving also now increasingly in the US. And I really hope that this will be something that the US consumer can also benefit from shortly. So that is something that will be coming to market here? Yes, or it sounds like it. at least in elements of it? Yes, exactly, yes. Okay. Well, that's exciting because, you know, some of these things sound like kind of unbelievably smart. Right. I mean, to be able to keep your high beams on on a, on a two lane road and not uh, affect the other car, not have to turn it down so that then you see less mm -hmm. uh, would be really beneficial. It is. And it even goes beyond that. It has the ability to also highlight certain things. So, for example, if the, if the camera detects that there's a deer on the side of the road, you can light up the mm. deer with a bit more light. Wow. Uh, or uh, if you have high beam on, you somehow, sometimes get blinded by the, by the signs of the road because mm -hmm. of almost too much light is reflected. You tune it down. Hmm. So you can really manipulate the high beam uh, in all these fancy ways. And it really makes driving much more pleasant and much more safe. So, you know, I wonder, you know, some of the applications might include, you know, for ride hailing or other, uh, other things where having a, a message of some sort or a code uh, for, for people outside the vehicle could be useful. What are some of the applications you're looking at? Yeah. Well, that's an interesting story. It's, it's again about getting better and cheaper at the same time. On the, on the tail of the car, I remember the struggle to first get it technically done, then mm. to get it commercially <laughs> done. Then we were really fighting hard to bring the LED content, the, the number of LEDs down in a taillight year by year. And now we're seeing the complete opposite trend. We want to have more light on the tail of the car, not <laughs> only because of the beautification and the design, but also inc increasingly for communication. And mm -hmm. um, also here we have now introduced just a new product, uh, only very shortly, where we can basically put a low resolution display on the tail of your car. Hmm. And the nice thing is it only shows when it's lit up. Otherwise, hmm. it's it's not there. So it's light out of nowhere, where we call it. Or <laughs> <laughs> so it's a fascinating design feature, but it also allows much more content. So uh, you can basically then also have uh, low resolution text messages, for example, for the people behind you um, as, as a messaging feature. So yeah, a lot of things going on and, and this, this trend will continue. I, I was in China uh, a couple of months ago and there they're a bit more playful uh, and the regulations are perhaps a little easier. There I, I, I was shown a car that had 4,000 LEDs on the outside of the car. <laughs> so it's just mind boggling what you can do with LED technology and how much interaction between the car and the environment is possible. Yeah, that's mind blowing. So before I let you go, I want to ask one more uh, thing. It was almost exactly a year ago uh, you were named Automotive News All-Star uh, Industry Leader. That was when you were, uh, after a long stretch here at Osram, uh, you went to Leone for a while and uh, you were leading the company while they were continuing to make wire harnesses in Ukraine, yeah. uh, despite the attacks from Russia. As you look back, as that war is now heading into another winter, uh, do you have any thoughts on what's happening in Ukraine and the workers that are still there? Yeah. Well, I, I'm extremely proud on, on, on our workforce there. It is really tremendous what they're doing on a day-to-day -day basis because it's still basically the same like a year ago that fortunately our factories are more in the western side of the country but with air alarms going on it's still the same drill if there's an air alarm the whole factory thousands of people that make harnesses in a factory like that have to go to the shelter and wait until it's over and if you're in a shelter and you do hear rockets or you're, you do hear the sounds if the rockets uh, hit something 30 40 kilometers away um, that is really uh, scary and mm -hmm. to then just wait for that to happen pick up your bag and go to the production line again and continue to manufacture it is just amazing to me what these people uh, are, are doing for us. 
and we have great quality, we have great output, we, have, we don't miss a car um, that, that has to be produced. It is truly amazing what these teams are going through and, and what they're delivering on a day-to-day -day basis in this war environment that unfortunately we are starting to get used to. And I think it's important yeah. that we continue to realize it isn't over yet and we have to help them to end this war because yeah. it is a human tragedy uh, and, and we really need a resolution to this, to this conflict. Yeah, uh, with war spreading even throughout the world, it's uh, uh, very troubling. But I appreciate uh, you and what uh, your former company has uh, been doing and what you're doing here at AMS Osram. Aldo Camper, CEO, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, for Jamie. That's Daily Drive for today. I'm Jamie Butters. And I'm Kellen Walker. Thanks to our own Michael Martinez, Irvash Kakaria, Hannah Lutz, and Vince Bond Jr. for their reporting for today's podcast. You can get the latest news on labor cost, EV strategies, and everything happening in the auto industry at autonews.com. Come back tomorrow for a conversation about how hard it is to find good used cars to sell. So as an organization, you have to develop a strategy to ensure that the service drive team is economically motivated to help the used car department buy vehicles. If you enjoy the podcast, remember to like, leave a review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode.